Welcome to Hearts and Minds. My name is Catherine McMahon and I'm joined here with Maura Cassidy. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic, which is the title is Three Reasons Why I Find It Hard to Commit. Yes. Now, there's a bit of an intro to that because obviously, but yeah, that's really in essence what we're going to be talking about. Um, I think when you look around, well, we could all, let's just consider now, close your eyes for a moment and consider um, watching Netflix. And um, what do we do when we watch Netflix? Well, at least I do is um, you grab the remote and you try this series and go, mm, not really, next, mm, not really, mm, next, not really. Um, we personally, or most of us find it hard to commit to a film for two and a half hours without really knowing pretty much that it's got an amazing rating in Rotten Tomatoes, that it's really good and it's really going to be an interesting, inspiring or whatever funny watch. You know, we kind of, we have to be in control of that. And um, otherwise we just jump around. And that's kind of the whole culture of choice that we have, that it's almost like we transpose our infinite browsing skills to life. And for me, I thought that was a very interesting statement. You know, there's a great writer called Pete Davis who wrote a book called Dedicated. And he talks a lot about this, this whole idea of how we have such, I suppose, problems committing, you know, committing to relationships, you know, uprooting ourselves a lot, um, not wanting to commit to a career path in case it would, you know, compromise my true self. Um, you know, we think of previous generations. You know, like say my grandparents or even my parents, you know, you got a job and it was great to have that job security. Mm. But that's kind of a, it's a concept that we're not really familiar with. Um, so that whole thing, or even just the whole idea of just distrust in sort of anything organized, whether it's politics, um, religion or any major institution. This And this whole idea of, I suppose, and this is what, what um, Pete Davis talks about in his book, and there's another great book called Stolen Focus, where the author speaks What's about the, title the same of thing. What's the book? It's called Dedicated. Okay. Um, and I can't, Stolen Focus is the other book. Mm -hmm. And in, in Stolen Focus, he actually speaks quite a lot about this idea that, um, in fact, this particular individual, whose name escapes me, um, but I think he lives in one of the Nordic countries and he's the expert on willpower. He's written quite a lot about it. He's a researcher. And yet he himself commented how hard he finds it to actually focus. You know, and it's because our culture has a lot to do with, you know, having a very low attention span. And naturally, that's going to lead to low commitment spans. So this isn't, this isn't going to be a rant about social media, in case you're worried about that. It's more a question about why do we find it hard to commit? You know, we all experience FOMO. You know, it's just that fear of missing out. You know, it's not just teenagers. Adults experience it too. Um, whereas maybe you might have watched your parents or even your grandparents, how they just took their time about things. You know, that whole Irish expression of God made time and he made, he made, he made you know, an infinite amount of it. But that's not really part of our culture or mindset at all now. Um, and yet the bizarre thing about it all is that deep down, if you were to ask anybody, we yearn for commitment. We yearn for security. You know, we learn to belong. And in a sense, they've actually, there's quite a few studies done in Gen Z on this topic. And, um, and, and, and they all conclude that for Gen Z, their greatest heroes are, which you might call the master committers, you know, the Dorothy Days of this world, Martin Luther Kings, you know, Fred Rogers, you know, of his Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And what do these individuals do? Like they just did what they, they believed in and did it consistently. So Fred Rogers, you know, recorded 895 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Why? Because he was just really dedicated to his idea of a more humane model of children's TV. 
Um, Martin Luther King Jr., of course, we're very familiar with him, and he was obviously the driving force behind the civil rights movement um, and essentially getting the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, you know, enacted. But in 1967, he had attended his 1,000th planning meeting in his local community. Now, by all accounts, those planning meetings were like watching paint dry. Yeah. You know, everybody had their word to say, very few proper conclusions, but they were all delighted to be there and waste each other's time mutually for three hours. No, obviously there were great things that came from them, but it was very much ordinary meat and potato stuff of a local community. And he could have just, you know, absented himself saying, you know, I'm important or I need to get stuff done for the nation, you know, for the rights, for the, you know, for the, you know, for equality, etc. But he showed up every single meeting. I think it's also kind of that kind of sense of, because we have so much, I'm probably leapfrogging forward a little bit, so forgive me on this one, but you know, we've so much information at our hands that you're kind of, you're, you're constantly, like I like to call it the scattering, you know, you're mm. constantly being scattered, thinking you start something and then you go, but then if I did that or if I did something better or whatever, especially when it comes to things to do with people who are achievers, you know, you're kind of going, God, they did this and maybe I should mm. do that and maybe this isn't going to work. And you don't think like the dogged work is going to help. And yes. then when you don't, not an immediate result, but if you don't get a medium result coming, mm. you kind of get nervous and then you move mm. on to the next thing. No, that's absolutely spot on, Catherine. So, like, yeah. That's exactly what happened. You've just described. In fact, what this book is all about. Oh, great. <laughs> so, Maybe I should team up with yeah, yeah. <laughs> you. Know, oh, it could have just, been his guinea pig. <laughs> well, it's, it's so true because it's coming from a very good space because what you want to do is to do your work well. What you want to do is, you know, to kind of develop as a person, to make an impact in the good sense of the world, you know. So you are all the time, particularly if you have a lot of, you have a lot of conflicting sort of responsibilities, Mm. And you don't have as much time and, 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 and. So it's a normal, that's, that's exactly mm. what this book is all about. And I hope this podcast will <laughs> shed some light on it. Yeah. But he, Pete Davis talks about three um, reasons why we find it hard to commit. Uh, fear of regret, okay, fear of association and fear of missing out. Mm. Um, and he, he kind of makes a nice, he makes a nice idea of it because, you know, many of our listeners might be familiar with St. Augustine. Um, and his whole thing, of course, St. Augustine was kind of, okay, God, I almost, I'm paraphrasing here. I know I need to change, but oh, not yet. So he paraphrases it and says, you know, I want to commit, but not just yet. And I think it's so true, you know, because the fear of regret, why are we, we don't want to commit to something because we're afraid that if we commit to that, then we could have committed to something else. You know, I find it a lot, say, you know, you and I both work with young people and, you know, that whole thing about not committing, you know, to an event or anything unless everybody's going, in which case then it's worth going to. And I don't think they ever articulate that to themselves. There isn't a sense of I'm going to show up because I said I would. You know, it's leaving everything open until the last minute, unless yeah. it's something that I really, you know, And, and you, really you feel as well as that you don't, you don't have full trust in the possibility of opportunities. yes. Because you're so yeah. tunnel visioned and how things should be that when opportunities arise, you're kind of looking at them kind of in a suspect manner and thinking, yes. no, that's not really what was well, planned. And then you miss that opportunity. Well, there's a really great book, which I'm in the middle of reading, the one by Marion Rojas. She's a Spanish psychologist and or psych yeah, psychologist. And in it, um, she precisely talks about plane journeys. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, and she said, she uses it as a kind of an image that look, never miss an opportunity to engage with someone because you'll always learn something. 
And she talks about a plane journey where she ends up sitting beside this older man. She's in her thirties, and they get chatting about what do you do, what do I do, kind of thing. It turns out he was a, he 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 was in the CIA. And she said, oh, and, he said, and then she told him what she did. And he said, oh, well, you kind of do something similar. You're trying to piece people together and work it out and all that. And they had a really, really interesting conversation. And, in the, and she said, I learned so much about geopolitics because he's a bit of an expert in the Middle East. And at the end of it all, I, we swapped. He said, listen, if you're ever in the States, look me up. And, you know, we could, there's a lot of common ground in both what we do. And I'd introduce you to my team. And I was wow. And yeah, she because, said, I, yeah, I, you hear those things of chance meetings and you kind of go, oh, that happens to other people. But then when you have that m- chance meeting, you just, well, I anyway, overlook it, you know. Or else it doesn't seem so exciting. It's somebody yeah. going, oh, sure, listen, where are you from? I'm from Dublin. <laughs> no, I'm too. But do you know what happened to me the other day? Sorry, I want to start from the podcast. So anyway, I was going for a run in the morning and I am um, actually in UCD. And uh, this woman comes along in her car. I was quite early. And uh, she pulled down the window and she said, can you tell me where the UCD vet is? And I was thinking, this is really early and it's Saturday morning, I don't think. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, has she done, you know, I might say, has look, she done she, her- well, has she done homework, you know. Was, but anyway, the poor woman had her dead dog in the back of the car. Wow. I know. And then I just, I thought, oh God, you poor thing. And she was on her own and everything. And then she started to cry and I said, oh my God, you poor thing. And then we had a lovely little bond about dogs and geriatric dogs and how we love them and all this kind of thing. And then we looked up Google Maps and mutually find, failed to find the place. And then she rang and it was all fine in the end. But I just thought, wasn't that, you know, that was a lovely encounter. Mm. You know, mm. as in, I've just felt very empathic because we had lots of dogs growing up and they all died. You know, and it's just, it's really, sorry, but, you know, there can be moments Shared like stories. that. Shared yeah, stories, yeah. you know, when you're there in a moment where somebody needs you. Anyway, listen, let's go back to it anyway. Um, so the fear of regret, really, as, as you mentioned there, the opportunities that crop up, we don't tend to identify them as opportunities. And it's just kind of go with the flow, I think. The fear of association is a really interesting one. Um, and it's the fear of committing to something because you're afraid. How I would imagine this, it's a bit like if somebody says, listen, I'm going on a rally um, or listen, I'm doing this thing. It's, it's, it's really important. Did you know in Middle Eastern Africa or somewhere there's this thing going on? It's terrible human rights abuse. And will you join me in this? And it's that fear of, is this person... I'm talking to right now, are they off their trolley? Are they an extremist? And what's their face, you know, what's their social media like? Sometimes we're afraid to commit because we fear it's going to affect my identity, my reputation. And suddenly I'll be deplatformed, ousted. Yeah, you could be two years later, somebody, you know, rummages through your Twitter account and finds that and you lose your job as a result. Exactly. I mean, this has happened to people. But so this is what's unusual. happening. It's not unusual. And it's this whole thing of, you know, this like witch hunt and scapegoating of people. The people go, listen, I'm happy for you, but there's no way I'm going to move on to your turf. As in, you know what I mean? Unless, of course, she's a million followers, which includes all the important people in this world, you know? Yeah, unless, it's, of course, it's kind of like a superficial backing of something. Exactly. You know what I mean? yeah, which, yeah. of course, everybody believes in, in which there's no decision. Mm-hmm. There's no real commitment there. And that's the whole thing about this. We're afraid to actually commit to anything. There's a kind of a moral neutrality about it. You'll only go to, mm-hmm. So, and the third one, obviously, the third reason why we find it hard to commit is fear of missing out, which, of course, we're all really familiar with. You know, that lovely Instagram account of somebody and you're just going, oh, wow, she's amazing, and here am I. And then you take, you know, we're always... I used to always think fear of missing out was those people who just ran at every opportunity to do things. But okay. in fact, it's the opposite, really, I think, isn't it? Well, like yeah, It's like yeah. people who, they just don't open that door because they're afraid that the other doors will open possibly open for them with greater opportunities. Exactly. So they like to sit and have all the doors open but go nowhere. Mm. So that's a nice image if you're thinking about, you know, mm. and I do think, um, so basically it's the fear of if I commit to this, then that'll prevent me being everything, everywhere to everyone. But that's the recipe for real mental health issues. Because you can't be everything to everyone, everywhere. You have to be you 
you show up as you as you are with your values, with your attitudes, with your hope, good attitudes, but with you, as, as a person that you are, which is critically important. So, um, so I suppose that's that's those are the three. I suppose um, you might say reasons you find it hard to commit. Um, I think a lot of them point to, I would suggest, point to what's going on in our minds. You know, fear of regret and thinking. You know, there's a lot of little musings going on in our minds. We spend a lot of time in our heads. Hmm. I would suggest, in comparison to previous generations. That's just a total generalization there, completely. <laughs> yeah. But it's just that, you know, no, you there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to do. Like we have a lot of tech, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but we have a lot of time with our heads, particularly in the Western world. Like if you look at each one of those, fear of regret, mm. you're thinking about things, fear of association, you're afraid because you're looking around to see what everybody else is doing. Well, there was a bit of that in, pre, in a lot of other generations. And fear of missing out. How do you know what you're missing out? Because you're on your social media. I think, I think also that kind of pull pull of um want like this constant pull online and everything like that of wanting to be better of seeing all these people who are supposed to be your role models mm. or whatever like that and you're constantly feeling that you're never quite there yet yeah. so that thing of always being in your head is a bit like that like you're always thinking that you're never quite good enough mm. so you're constantly looking side you know side eye mm. you know wondering uh, am i am i good enough in a sense and mm. you think if you didn't have that if you didn't have those role models forever in front of you you'd be content i remember that somebody was saying i don't know which country it is they were saying that they were the happiest people in the world and when they were when, when it was drilled down why they were happy it was because they have very low expectations mm. and you kind of go god that's a pity isn't it but it's actually kind of nice mm. well, you know it's, it's nice to have a good expectation mm. about yourself but not so kind of constantly mm. well it's interesting you say that because um some people listening will be familiar with um Father Cormac Burke, who was the first member of Opus Day in Ireland. And he was once asked, you know, my God, like, how did you do all that you did? Because you look back in his life and, you know, basically being the first person in Opus Day in Ireland, all that they did here. And then he went to Kenya and then he was in the Philippines and in the States. And so he said, like, gee, you know, and he said, but you know what? We just put one f f foot in front of the next. We had no expectation of anything. Mm. And I think that's the hard thing for this generation is we have such high expectations we think, well, if the previous generation did all that, well, then we have to literally stand on the shoulder of giants, which doesn't actually mean we learn from people. It means I'm not going to repeat what you did. Whereas human nature, we always repeat what previous generations did because we have to do it for ourselves. I don't mean Stone Age, yeah, no, but I do mean it's, yeah. you have to go through life's experience as a person, as an individual. Mm. And just because everybody else has done it before, it doesn't mean you're going to do it any differently. Mm. Hopefully you'll learn something, but you'll usually learn from your own mistakes. And from, you know, as opposed to from, well, maybe from somebody else as well. Mm. Anyway, there's another really interesting um, writer, um, David Foster Wallace. Many people are familiar with him. And a commencement speech in 2005, actually, in this Kenyan college, he said something very interesting. And he said very many, many interesting things. But the one thing that st struck me for this podcast was he said the really significant education and thinking isn't really about the capacity to think, but rather about the choices of what to think about. And I find that fascinating because you made that point at the outset is that we're so, we've so much information. We're being bombarded by information all the time. So it's almost like as if we don't get a choice about what to think about. And do we even think in the first place? We're just kind of, we're just being stunned by this just huge kind of, you know, wave of information all the time. Um, and I think it's a really helpful thing to decide you know, I want to discover the freedom to, to decide what I'm going to think about. 
I don't mean go off and do, you know, you know, go off and do crazy things. But I mean, just decide you're not going to, you know, um, read that, take that stream of information into your social media. You're going to choose what you're going to read that's really good and interesting. You're going to be critical about, you know, that opinion piece and whatever, you know, blog post you're reading. You're going to choose what you're going to read, what you're going to take in, because then you choose what you're going to think about, you know, that's what you're going to give your attention to. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to step, I would suggest, step away and go, is that really true? And, and question things. Because um, that's really, really important in terms of, you might say, stepping away from the fear of regret, fear of association. Notice these are all fears. They're all premised by the word fear. Yeah. Whereas the whole thing of committing is, it's, it's like, you know, putting, your, sho- putting your, 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 your shoulder to the wheel, it's much more rooted it's a sense of who you are. Mm. And we all love to be with people who know who they are. We actually, they, they, they share, there's a security about them that we yeah, like to be with them. Yeah, they're happy in their skin. Mm. Yeah, they're not pretending to be somebody else. It's just, mm. here I am and this is who I am and that's just it. Um, I think it's also interesting to look at, anyway, you might say the three antidotes I thought that's helpful for the three fears are three ideas that Martin Luther King had, which were the importance of having length, breadth and height in our lives, those three dimensions. Now, it doesn't sound like as if it's anything extraordinary to say that. Um, but it is in many ways, you know. Um, the length is about our connection to ourselves. So that's that whole idea of growing in a sense of self-knowledge. You know, how do I show up? You know, we see that in terms of a lot of the times the way other we interact with other people or even sometimes what people say to you. You know, what would your mother say of you? You know, what, how would your mother describe you? That's a lot about, that'll tell you a lot about, give you a lot of self-knowledge. Your temperament, your strengths, your weaknesses, you know. And I do think there's a much more awareness of being self-aware and self-knowledge um, and wanting to grow, I think. I would also suggest that, you know, Thomas Merton, the great writer, um, said, you know, he said, we need to try to step away from the false self and awaken the authentic self. Because sometimes... We can be very critical of ourselves and want to be somebody else. And that's not what this is about. It's being able to inhabit your own person, but wanting to be the better version or the best version of that person. And obviously we've talked about this in this podcast, like philosophy, reading, and we have a podcast coming up on that, you know. Um, So all of these things, you know, they they help us to acquire length because you're reading from the best and to read from the best, not just the most popular. Classics are classics because they're enduring, whether that's Aristotle, whether that's Plato, whether it's Thomas Aquinas or whether it's Dickens or whoever it is. Um, and it's lovely to, you know, we, we find links there. We find a, a kind of a commonality in our humanity, even if it was written hundreds of years ago, but also missing foundations that sometimes we don't even know that exist. And I think that's also very helpful for us. Um, the idea as well about, um, you might say, that length connection with ourselves helps us also to connect with the purpose of why we're here. And I think a very important part of that is work. Mm. You know, we spend a lot of our lives working and there is a beautiful sense of a vocation, something vocational about work. Like you spend more time working than you do with your family. And um, and in it, you might say like, that's where we can find depth. That's where we can, you know, as opposed to infinite browsing, we have to get stuff done. We have, you know, keep KPIs, things that we need to do, but also there's opportunities maybe to dig into something more, to serve somebody more, mm. to to be creative about something, and that's a that's a total antidote, you might say, to um, you know, to the fear of regret. You're going to be sitting there for that hour doing that piece of work and shut everything else out, so you can actually just focus 
And this is, and it's a great help. You know, your comment at the outset, you know, what, what if I don't do this and that and the other? You know, will I miss out? Whereas I think if you're applying yourself to a piece of work that you have to do, you say, well, I'm being paid to do this. This is my job. That can help you just to, to, to shut that yeah, down and yeah. actually to focus in on something. And then to get excited about, you know, bringing your own skill set to something mm. and doing a really good job. And yeah, and the 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 distinction I think for many, well, not for many people, but I do think the distinction of a person who really who keeps young at work is that desire for learning. Yeah. You know that it's not so much kind of churning out. Oh, sure, I know how to do that. Sure, that's grand. You know, but uh, upskilling, yes, but more the inquisitive curiosity mm. of wanting to learn mm. and be better, but just for the sake, but that idea of deeper reflection, mm. almost. You know. Mm. And um, as you say, yeah. that's kind of, it can help someone to reflect on a piece of work you've done yeah. and think, you know, would I do it differently or, you know, or, and to be I proud of said, your work. I think you said something actually the other day that I um, thought was very interesting. You kind of, you quoted this, was it a monk who basically was reading a spiritual reading book? And, oh, a rabbi. A rabbi, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody came in and said, oh, you're you're reading the same book. And he said, but I'm a different person. Yeah. You know, and mm. it's it's cool. Like it's, it's yeah. kind of like you can read the same book that you mm. read, you know, I don't know, five years ago or five weeks ago or five days ago and still find things yeah. different in it. Yeah. And the same with our work. We can mm. still do it to do it differently because mm. we're a different person. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I think as well, and you bring all the human virtues there, you know, what's human virtue but human excellence, but for the sake of something more, not just that stoical sense of I want to be better. It's a case I want to be better because I want to show up for others as a better human being or spiritually I want to be more pleasing to God. But it's beautiful to think that in work there's so many different elements to it, like diligence is that sense of application, but for love. You know, it's not that just willpower or, you know, the creativity or the order, or the generosity, you know, that we bring to things. Um, I think as well, fear of regret. And I'm going to go back to what you said at the outset, because I think it sort of encapsulates it very well, what you said, Catherine, about that fear of choosing things. Um, because there's a really, there's a beautiful, we're all looking ultimately why we're here on earth. You know, what's my purpose? You know, and obviously we find that through maybe our career path and things like that. But ultimately there's more to us than a career path. Um, and that's a vocational sense, you know, why, why am I here? And you obviously, you know, for Catholics and Christians, you can take that and others, you can take that to the spiritual vocational sense. Why did God create me? And I think that's the ultimate actual, um, you might say, solution to a lot of our fears. Because when we discover, you know, um, why we're here, you know, and vocation comes from the word vocare, which means the Latin for being called out. And we're being drawn by somebody all the time who created us for himself. But it's like a lover, you know, the kind of, you know, trying to bump into us throughout our life, you know, <laughs> so that they become familiar territory. There's a really nice, um, and Pete Davis's book actually talks about, I think he was chatting to a priest and a Jesuit priest who said, well, if this was just about willpower, I wouldn't be here. It's a relationship. And, and I just found myself being magnetically drawn. And then it fitted and it felt right. And he, well, he also said, God got his talons into me. You know what I mean? It sounds a bit, but we, in other words, God cho owned me. He said, you're mine. No, no, you're for me. You're for me. I need you for something. Which of course is a beautiful sense in life. We all want to feel needed. We all want to feel I'm here because I have a purpose. And, you know, St. John Henry Newman talked about that, that beautiful quote he talked about. So calling is, is obviously from a deeper place. And then we see our commitments, not just as random choices. You know, oh, I'll do this today. I'll do that tomorrow. Free, not really. You just feel completely lost, to be honest. Um, but it, it, this sort of sense of it being called to a deeper place means that you're less haunted by unchosen options. 
because ultimately there's an inner voice telling you that we we know you know the way we can we can be most helpful in life the way we can be most fulfilled in life by playing the part we're called to play well you know this you thing know? of when you were saying called to a deeper place was that what you said yeah. called to a deeper place what do you mean by that you know because okay you you kind of shut off all these options mm-hmm. um and then you're left with the option <laughs> that you've chosen <laughs> okay um and you, you know, you, you go through life and it, it could be kind of like, you're kind of saying, God, I, I really didn't, not God, God, yeah, you could be talking to God too, but you're kind of going, I, I wanted my life, you know, to make an impact. And yet I just see it as a little bit mediocre, actually. Hmm. So when you're going to that deeper place, is it just kind of that sense of just being content with knowing that the fruits are there and God sees them as opposed to you thinking that you're the measuring stick of it all? Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm not real. Yeah, I know. I'm not it's, a kind of, it's kind of an open, open. But I suppose what I would see it as kind of like that inner place where you're alone with God, you know, and there is a sense of, um, I'm not saying that he, I've had permissions to remotely like it, but there is a sense of, there's a deep, you know, there's a sanctuary in within you that only, you know, yeah, I think that you you can talk to God there. And I do, I would think that in life, we often hear that thing, particularly in Catholic circles, um, the whole idea that the cross is is the way. You know, it's St. It's John Paul II talked about the cross, like the barrier reef. You know, you get through the barrier reef and then you open out this incredible open sea and there's no friction. And that's, I think, that's an inner work. And much of it is, you know, knowing how to show up knowing how to do things. I don't mean just choosing all the hard way, but knowing that if this is my path, then then every day you're trying to show up and sort of navigate your way. That in itself is the most powerful thing you can do for your own self-growth and also for your own ultimate happiness. You're right, you won't necessarily, you certainly don't see it a lot of the time because it does look very ordinary. And in fact, the ordinary is 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 possibly the most beautiful thing. Like you and I have seen people mm. who live and die who, you know, you know, just to mention for any of our listeners, like Teddy Burke, she was the first member of Opus Day in Ireland, passed away last week. And it was just extraordinary looking over her life because she was a very intelligent woman. She was doing two degrees, degrees at the same time, but she was extremely low key. But I think people's sense of Teddy was that she just always, she was always there. And you knew who she was. And there was something terribly happy about her. You know, her last years of her life were very limited. You know, she had d- dementia and so many things, but she came and went. You know, she came and went. There were times when she was right there looking at you and you knew she knew who was there and she knew, you knew she knew what she was saying. My reason for saying that is sometimes it's that we use other, uh, as I said in a previous podcast, a scientific method for our life. In other words, I can't touch it, I can't feel it, therefore it's not successful. Or in comparison to other people, I'm not really going in a particular direction. Whereas that's not the measure for our life, in fact. Hmm. We're going, we're on a journey. Hmm. I'm not saying that we suddenly go, oh, sure, who cares, let's just go with the flow. No. But at the same time, there's an inner working within us that is, it's very hard to describe it and it's very hard to understand it, even put words on it. But there is a sense of we know who we are. You know, we know who we are because we know I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, and you, know, you kind of almost touch your authenticity sometimes yeah. when you know, yeah. 
And you get a greater sense of, you know, you mightn't show up the best way. You mm. might be unbearable to live with sometimes. But at the same time, you know there's something going on inside that you're fighting against yourself a lot of the time to try to, to, stick, to, to stick to the course, mm. you know, and to take whatever comes, comes your way. Mm. Anyway, I don't know if that's... No, that, that totally answers my question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the other, I suppose, the, the, there's only two other ones really, and I'll just kind of briefly summarize them. Um, the whole idea of breath in our life is connection with others. and Because um, this is the length, breath and... Yes, length, breath and height of height. Martin Luther King. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, he's, it's not... It's not um, I wouldn't say that it's... Um, Specific to Martin Luther King, like you can pick up many of the saints, like Saint Josemaria talked about, you know, mm. length, breadth, and height. Saint Paul did. Mm. Saint John of the Cross did. All exactly. of them spoke about yeah, this. Yeah. So um, this isn't, but it's just you know, yeah, sure, it is. we'll go with it. Um, but the whole thing of breath is that sense of. Um, you might say connection with other people. So it is the antidote to fear of association. In other words, connecting to other people is really what solidarity is all about. That we belong, that we care, that we connect, and um, and we can only really be truly human or truly virtuous in the context of other people. And that can be hard sometimes, particularly when you're really, really busy and you just feel so stressed and you just haven't got the bandwidth for anything. Or it can be when you're, you know, somebody in a relationship or you know, wherever, you know, you're you're just finding somebody a bit tedious. And those times, it's, it's, it's where we need to sort of give ourselves, step away a little bit. And it's not meant, it's not necessarily meant to be easy. But the beautiful thing about it is, and it's not meant to be, necessarily meant to be hard all the time either. But um, I think it's, it's a lovely thing to remind ourselves that we matter, you know, um, and the fact that we make a difference to other people. Um, and also, it's lovely to hear other people talking about other people who mean a lot to them in their life, if they're a mutual friend or contact because you, 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 it's really nice because you get to go yeah I agree and what I suppose in our time I suppose when belief shrinks in the world um, I don't know who said this so forgive me but I like the quote so I just jotted it down um, people search for people who believe and they search for people to believe in so I think that's a beautiful thing that um, are you somebody that people can believe in not because you're perfect but because you, keep, you, you get up you keep trying and because you're the real you. And the real you is somebody who's trying. I think you can always, you know, you can always suggest to people, um, I was talking to my brother-in-law the other day and I was saying, I hope you're taking it easy and I hope you're doing that. And he says, yeah, right, more. He said, the kettle calling the pot black, like. And I said, yeah, I'm really good at giving advice that I never follow myself. But anyway, it was quite funny. But it's just that sense of, yeah, that, that I suppose that we are role models for people because we show up and because we're trying to do the best that we can do. And we're trying to incarnate values and values are really, really important in the human space. You know, um, we were chatting about this recently, but I was, I'm reading a, well, a short biography of Pedro Ballesteros, who's this young man who died at 21 in the UK um, of cancer. And the really nice thing is he really struggled, obviously, completely. You can imagine how hard it must have been for him, you know, and... And yet what people commented on, apart from the fact he seemed to be a lovely, lovely guy, but um, was just the fact that he just kept trying again. He just picked himself up and tried again. I find that very encouraging. I don't like reading, most people don't like reading biographies of people who are just born, like, just good. I'm sure he was yeah, born very even, good too, but, yeah. you know. Just or even if they get up and try again, sometimes that they're perfectly getting up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you like a bit of messiness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a bit of splatter on the wall, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, you yeah, can see the yeah. effort. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you see kind of like the earthiness of yeah. life, you know what I mean? Because otherwise it's kind of like, God, even even in their forgiveness, they're perfect, yeah. you know? Uh, but yeah. 
And it's interesting, actually, because um, when you read the Harry Potter series, which I haven't done for ages, so I can't remember the name of these creatures, but you know those creatures that kind of sap the life out of you, but they sap the hope out of you. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. they, they create discouragement. Mm. So you see it in Frodo. Well, that's sorry, a totally different book, but it's a similar idea. Sorry, it's tremendous. <laughs> I've just jumped from J.K. Rowling. To, yeah. well, they're quite similar in some ways. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But in any event, there are these creatures who literally take the hope from you. You're useless, you're pathetic. Why do you think you're going to do this? And mm. that's the devil. So mm. a lot of the reasons why we find it hard to think we make a difference is because we don't believe in ourselves. Yeah, I mean, and I was talking I to that's... somebody there the other day about this, you know, because just even talking about the fact that the devil exists and mm. those realities, like, somebody, actually, I can't remember, they were saying the Screw Tape Letters was mm. the book that changed their lives, wow. you know, uh, C.S. Lewis, because of that reality of how the devil can weave into our lives yeah. and how we perceive reality and how insidious and painful he is and yeah. everything of just kind of being able to realize look there is an object there is an objective evil there oh yeah that you need to be very cute about and realize well, he is that an, it's he, there and don't think that that's you no that idea you exactly know? like he's a fallen fallen angel hmm. like and he's the most powerful of the fallen angels hmm. so he is he has, has a persona yeah yeah not to freak people out but and he does he's a bit of an expert in humanity he's been hanging around for a long time he has so hmm. i think you know and it's just it was you know we're familiar with the idea of the importance of being witnesses for other people not in terms of as we keep saying of being perfect but pope paul the sixth you know saying pope paul the sixth actually said it he said modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers um, and if he does listen to teachers, it's because they're witnesses. And Pope Francis, you know, reiterates that again. He says, look, it's through an unbroken chain of witnesses that we come to see the face of Jesus. I thought, that, I think that's so beautiful. Mm. You know, it's like as if, you know, one, and then you suddenly, ah, oh, that's another Jesus. Another person and another Yeah, person. and each, each person, each of us represents something beautiful about humanity. Like some people are so kind, you know, I just have a real space where people are kind, or people are just, you know, notice. <laughs> You know, they notice. Or some people are just really courageous, you know, some people are just really hard workers and they just don't forget, they get stuff done, they're so reliable and you just go, oh my God, the world, world will continue because people like you will keep doing the same things every day because, it's so, um, anyway, just that. Um, and the importance of friendship, you know, with other people, you know, because there is a crisis of friendship out there. And we will be doing something on that in the podcast series about friendships, particularly adults, you know, because, um, you know, well, COVID has probably affected it a good deal, but um, it takes effort and people really value it and it matters. And we really appreciate it too. So not to forget that, you know. Um, the other side as well of, 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 I suppose, freedom or, you know, association, this whole idea of associating with people, as we said, um, is the breath element of things, connecting with people, is the whole area of social work. You know, because we live in a world where there's the haves and the have-nots. And there's a lot of people who have not in our world, particularly in the Irish world now. There's a huge number of refugees in this country. And we can be very easily just sitting watching it at the TV and going, God, the government's making an awful mess of this. Or the government's making a great job of it, whichever end of the spectrum we are in the, in the debate. But there's a great, great opportunity to get out there and to show up and see, can you teach English or can you help somebody get a job or you can you campaign that people living in, in, you know, in direct provision could potentially get a job, maybe while they're here, because, you know, the rest not being able to work for mm. an indefinite period of time is not, at, at the very least, a recipe for mental health issues and the very worst antisocial behaviour. Yeah, because I was talking to somebody about this at one stage, because, I mean, obviously the current situation, mm. you know, I, I think particularly for Ukraine is mm. is desperate, you know. And 
I was talking to her about this idea of, you know, we we look at movies, let's say, of Second World War mm. and we're going, God, you know, because sometimes we're a bit naive in that re- respect. We kind of say, well, if I was there now, I'd be <laughs> I'd be smuggling out loads of people. Maybe you'd know. be Mr. Schindler. Oh, himself. I'd be like Mr. Schindler and I'd be doing loads of things. And we go, yeah, that's great now. It's lovely to see it in, you know, uh, f- you know, 50 years down the line. But what are you doing now? Mm. Because like, let's say 50 years ahead, people are going to be looking back at mm. us and kind of going, what did you do? Yeah, exactly. You know, because the present is really the present. And, you know, history will speak for itself and it'll write It'll write mm. its history and it'll say, well, you know, the Irish people, you know, they turn their backs on those. You know, it's it's yeah, just yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. just to be able to say we write history. Mm, that's very We make it happen. It. Yeah. Um, and it, it isn't kind of, you know, we can be very comfortable and we can also have a, an incredible measuring stick for for our own poverty, maybe, are kind mm. of like saying, well, you know, we have to watch out for our own. And mm. I'm not saying people are like that, like in the main, they're not. But, you know, it is... Uh, yeah, we have a lot, a lot in this yeah, country. You do, you know? and it's just a moment of reflection, I suppose, you know, and mm. that's why it's lovely when you do see communities kind of go, no, we're holding on to our Ukrainians, you're not moving them, or we're holding on to our whoever, you know, yeah, because yeah. let's face it, we have always been a country of immigrants, and, you know, because we were accepted, we got there, or maybe we weren't accepted and fought our way up, <laughs> whatever way we did it. But, um, and then the last, uh, the last um, reason I think why we fear to commit is the whole idea of fear of missing out. Um, and I think, why are we afraid of missing out? Well, the French philosopher Jacques Maritain once said that the meaning of life is to go from self-mastery for the purpose of self-giving. So, um, and that's the challenge of growing up, but not just to serve your own needs but to actually to give to others. Um, and that does lead to this, and you may think this is probably more connected to the previous fear, but it is connected also to the fear of missing out because if we're able to face into that challenge of showing up for other people and to, you know, even that sense of just, you've talked about that public interest, you know, civic awareness, you know, local community engagement with helping the you know people in our society who don't have what we have and showing up, that also helps us with the fear of missing out because we're doing the right thing. Mm. And we won't be worrying about, should I be there? Should I be this? No, I'm doing the right thing. This person has a real need and there's nothing like real needs to actually root us because you see somebody without, you know, suffering, somebody more needy than you. It just helps us to go, what am I worrying about my first world problems for? You know, but the fear of associate, fear of me, fear of missing out. If you want to think of fear of missing out, it's a bit like being a tourist in life where your life is just ticking off various experiences, you know, exhilarating experiences, food I ate, the places I went, and uploading it all, but never really tasting life, you know, tasting experiences, real relationships, you know, poignant moments, suffering, all these things that are rich, because we're not an accumulation of experiences. Um, and I think another image that I find helpful in this one is not mine. It's this man called Henry, long name here, Wadsworth Longfellow. <laughs> that's that's wow. the full surname, isn't it? That's the full surname, wow. if you don't mind. No Murphy's there. But the idea, he says, you know, you can either be an anvil or you can be a hammer. And basically you can be molded, you know, by the world or by its ideas just because you don't engage and you just let others mold you or you mold the world instead. In other words, you're, you're an agent for change. And um, and I think that's the, the important piece about this really is that um, the fear of missing out, the antidote really is committing ourselves to little projects, 
Learning the guitar for six months and being able to play it at the end of six months. I'd love that. I would absolutely love it. I think we all would. <laughs> it's like Must. when COVID hit and we all went, let's learn the guitar. And we never did. I don't know what we were doing, but anyway. Sourdough. <laughs> yeah, sourdough. <laughs> so we're trying to, you know, reflect on something you've done, you've committed to. And you go, I did that. Mm. And then just replicate it, you know, because there's a great joy of depth. I know you're a big fan of Cal Newport, Catherine, but like, that's mm. his whole thing, isn't it? Depth and work and focus and all that. But to stop skimming the surface, basically, and, you know, that whole idea of stepping away from the addiction of novelty, because that's a real dopamine hit. New thing, new thing, new stuff, new thing, new experience, new, new you. Mm. And we don't need it. And it doesn't, it doesn't last, you know, um, yeah. Anyway, I remember an author writing about this when he was at a bad phase in his life. He said he used to just go out to very expensive shops and he'd buy really expensive shirts and he'd bring them home and put them in his closet and he wouldn't even open them. Wow. It was just the need to purchase, to oh, get something okay. new. Hmm. But it was just extraordinary. It went, I thought it was very illustrative because once you've, you've, you've got the dopamine hit, you don't need to open it. Yeah. You just I mean, put it in your closet. I remember a friend of mine talking about the same, about the, 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 like it was that, you know, the confessions of a shopaholic a little bit, you know, the the whole thing of being in the queue for wow. for, for buying was where the kick happened. <laughs> where the, wow. You know, I and it's you. interesting. Yeah, it's, it's that, you know, it's that kind of the desire is, mm. is met. But then when you ha- when you get it, it's just not, it's it's not, not fulfilling. Anymore. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. so interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Actually. I never thought about the queue. Actually. Yeah, the queue. Yeah, yeah you should different. go to Sarah. You could yeah, have a great time. Great fun. Just stand in this queue for an hour every day and get your dopamine um, but it's also nice, it's, it's, you know, for anybody's reading kind of, you know, you know, books on I suppose, management and stuff. It's the whole idea that a startup, you know, always has a fantasy story and then reality hits. And that's when the story of the long haul begins. And any, you know, entrepreneur or CEO could write a book on it about failure and just sticking with it. So in this whole area, I suppose, of fear of missing out, think of what sort of where you show up as a craftsman. You know, where do you show up? Where, you, where do you apply your attention, your focus mm-hmm. to build a habit, to build um, just a hobby even, to, to learn a skill that just takes time? Yeah, it's a lovely you know? idea. And mm. it's, it's not mine, but it's just, and mm. giving yourself permission to do that because there's something deeply human about it. Mm. And it's becoming really popular, actually. People learning how to do all kinds of strange, unusual crafts. You know, like make swords out of iron, you know, iron ore. Cal Newport has that in one of his books. But anyway, it's just interesting. Um, so... I suppose the other side of it that we need to be able to reframe it because um, we can't do everything we want. So we need to be able to put a limit, even with all these lovely crafts that we're going to start undertaking and rushing to do after this podcast. Um, But going back again, Catherine, to what you said at the outset, and just to finish with it really, is that, you know, we, each of us looks for, you know, we need things in our life that hold us true to ourselves. So that's where core values come in. So, and they also help us to root. That's why marriages have vows or professions have oaths. They remind us why we're doing something and they keep it simple. So I just encourage even anybody who likes to do that kind of thing, write up a little mission statement. It could be for your family or how, what you do, what's important to you. And just try to stick with it and keep it simple because it'll remind you about why you do what you do. And it's that famous rabbi that you mentioned, you know, the prayer book didn't change for him, but he changed because he kept reflecting on the same ideas and they, br- they brought him to a different space. Um, and the, our most joyous moments in life are often the most ordinary moments. And not to forget that, you know, it's, and if we're rushing and just trying to do a million things, it won't work for us. And so we do need to give ourselves permission to step back. And we are in heading into the month of June. Um, well, by Summer. the time this podcast is on, probably the end of June. Yeah. But in any event, um, 
No, but it is. It's like it's we are heading season. into summer. We, we are, are heading. We are in summer, really. Yeah. So it is a moment of kind of downtime because it's true. Like it is September, October, November. Even if you're not in any way connected to academic year, I think everybody's connected to an academic year in a sense, yeah. you know, in their lives. That it, it is kind of like the race against time in those months, and then maybe June, July, and August are not so racy. Yeah. You know, so the it's a nice time to kind of consider these things yeah. and reflect and it, them a little bit more deeply, you know, exactly. even read that book. I think that book, that be, book is really, really good. So you put that at the end yeah. actually, the resources section um, and not to see it as a kind of beat yourself up moment, mm. you know, we're just doing our best. Or like another to-do list that yeah. I have to do or whatever, you know. Just doing yeah. our best and God will do the rest, but we're just doing our best. So you just, you know, it's not, there's loads of things you won't manage. Maybe there's one thing you could do and that's mm. enough. Brilliant. Thanks a million, Maura. Not at all. And uh, we'll be in touch again for another podcast, another episode another season. Super. Great stuff.